Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray again. Father, we just thank you again for your word this morning. And as we come to it, Lord, such a teaching that sometimes gets so misused, so misstated. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would teach us clearly so that we would understand your heart as you spoke this at first to your disciples and to those that were listening. And Lord, now speaking it to those of us who are listening, give us ears to hear this morning and fill us with your spirit so that we can receive the teaching that you have for us here today. For it's in Jesus' name we all pray and God's people prayed. Amen and amen. Judge not, verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, we're continuing along the same line of reasoning that we began looking at last week in the beginning of that passage back in verse 36, where I started reading from a few moments ago. But, you know, it's continuing along the same line of reasoning that Jesus was using there on how we should treat our enemies. But he now turns to a series of admonitions that that befit the thinking in the life of a believer. And the first admonition he gives us is to judge not, to judge not. This is one of the most often and and most, I would argue, incorrectly interpreted and misapplied statements in all of Scripture. As one commentator remarked, he said, among those who seem to know nothing of the Bible, this is the verse that seems to be most popular. Yet most of the people who quote this verse don't understand that Jesus, what Jesus said. They seem to think, or at least they seem to hope, that Jesus commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or of any teaching. And, and that's true, isn't it? You've heard it quoted that way to you. 
Hey, judge not. If you say something to somebody about something that's scripturally wrong, judge not. You're not, you're not in a place to judge me. But, but the question we have to ask this morning is, does it have the application that most people tend to give it? I, I think the simple answer to that is no. It does not. While Jesus is warning us about putting ourselves in the place of judge over others, he is not at all saying or even implying that it is necessarily wrong for us as believers to judge the behaviors of others. But here's the key, how we do it, how we, we do that, and, and what we're judging them about. That's the real issue. The word being used here gives us a better understanding of Jesus's intent. The word judge that he's using in the Greek is a word that's pronounced, or a word krino in, in the Greek. And it literally has to do with judging to the point of condemning. Judging to the point of condemning. That's the literal meaning of the word that Jesus is using here. It has the idea of, of setting ourselves up as moral and spiritual judge, jury, and, and possibly even executioner in a sense. And Jesus is saying in the statement that we're not to set ourselves up in, in this way, and that only God has the right to serve in that capacity. Only he can judge to the point of condemnation. It is not our place. It is not what we do. And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying here. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he who judges me is the Lord. Now, you've probably seen the bumper sticker. I, I know that I have, or you've heard people say it, but I, years ago I did see a bumper sticker on the back of someone's car that was based on this particular verse here, 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and it said, only God can judge me. And, and now I don't know if they had the right application in mind, but that sticker was absolutely true. I, I can't argue with it. It's absolutely true. Only God can ultimately judge any of us in the fullest sense of the meaning. You and I don't have the authority. We don't have the capacity. We don't even have the insight required to pass judgment on others in the fullest sense of that meaning. We don't know them like God knows them. I often remind myself of that very fact that I don't know people in the way that God does. I don't see what he sees. I don't know. You don't know the heart attitude behind the things that are going on that we see in people's lives. We only see a part of the picture, but God sees the entire picture of that person's life. You know, there's a, a story told about John Wesley, uh, the great preacher and evangelist, who when he was told of a man that he had little respect for because he considered him to be miserly and covetous. One day when this person contributed only a small gift to a worthy charity, Wesley openly criticized him. And after the incident, the man went to Wesley privately and told him he had been living on parsnips and water for several weeks. He explained that before his conversion, he had run up so many bills. Now by skimping on everything and buying nothing for himself, he was paying off his creditors one by one. Christ has made me an honest man, he said. And so with all these debts to pay, I can only give a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbors and show them what the grace of God can do in the heart of a man who was once dishonest. Wesley then apologized to the man and asked his forgiveness for the judgment that he had passed on him in his own heart. And that illustration just goes to show that we don't really know other people. 
We don't know what's happening in their lives, so we don't have the credentials to serve as their ultimate judge. And, and, and when we do elevate ourselves to positions of being the judge, there are always repercussions, practically at times and spiritually all the time. As Jesus implies in this verse and states clearly in the next, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, he says it much more directly in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2, where he says it this way, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, regardless of whether or not there is a practical repercussion that comes out of an inappropriate judgment that that you or I make of others, Jesus says that there will most certainly be a spiritual consequence, a spiritual outflowing of that is we will be judged by the in the same way that we're judging others. Your judgments will be measured back to you, Jesus says. Have you ever heard that expression back at you? My kids used to like to say that when they were little. I've heard, as a teacher, I've heard my students say, back at you. Well, Jesus is saying that this is what happens when we render inappropriate judgments on others. The judgments that we pass will eventually come back at us. It will be judged in the same way and by the same measure in which we've judged others. Now, how will you be judged in like manner and by whom? Well, some would suggest by God, but I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Remember, the judgment we're talking about here is inappropriate because it's what? It's a judgment of condemnation that we would make on others. And if you're in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be assured that God is not going to render that similar kind of judgment upon you. We're told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 very clearly, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so while as believers we will all face a judgment for our works one day when we stand before the Bema seat of God for that judgment of works, when we arrive there and we stand before his throne one day, that judgment is not a judgment of condemnation. And so we can't believe here as we read this that Jesus is certainly implying to a believer that what he or she would face for wrong judgment on others is a judgment of condemnation from God. So then the question we have to ask is, who will judge us in like kind and what will it be about? Well, first of all, our own hearts will judge us. When we wrongly judge others, our own hearts will judge us. Our hearts can pass a condemning form of judgment upon us, as John clearly tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, I am sure glad that in Christ, God is greater than my own heart. I am so grateful that he is greater than my own heart and that he's not passing condemnation upon me because of my faith in Jesus. And yet, this truth, that truth that, that God is not passing condemnational judgment on me does not negate the fact, according to John, that my own heart can condemn me, that your heart can condemn you. You know, King David despite the wonderful relationship that he had with the Lord, he experienced this form of judgmental condemnation in his own life, not from God. God forgave him, but from his own heart. Listen what 2 Samuel chapter 24 
And verse 10 tells us, this is in response to the wrong census that he took of the people. You know, in the Old Testament, census, taking a census wasn't wrong. You know, we do that in our nation as well. It's taking a census wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was wrong for David because he was numbering the people to give him sense, a sense of confidence in the numbers. He wasn't just doing it for administrative purposes. He was doing it to, to reassure himself of the strength of the might he had in his own kingdom. And that was wrong because his trust for protection, for might is in the Lord, not in the people. I've made a point of that over the years of not doing head counts in our fellowship here for that same reason because it doesn't it doesn't matter numbers are not what matters what matters is what the Lord is doing and my trust is in the Lord and following his calling for my life but listen to David's response for the numbering he did second Samuel 24 verse 10 tells us and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people so David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You see, in the same way, when you start passing inappropriate judgment on others, your heart will condemn you, or at least it should if you're, if you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is living within you, which he is if you're a believer, because he'll begin to convict you of that sinful action that you've done. And if it's ignored, it'll take a serious toll on your life, especially in your relationship with the Lord, as it can drive you away from the Lord, your heart can drive you away from the Lord as you try to cover over the conviction and hide that sinful conviction in your own heart that, that your own heart is bringing to you. So your heart can condemn you. Your heart can judge you. Another practical way is others can judge you. It can come back to you through others. The inappropriate judgments that we've rendered on others can come back at us through other people, coming back at us through the very people, in fact, that we've judged in some cases. You know, it's a universal principle that people tend to respond in kind. People tend to respond to us the way we respond to them. People tend to treat us as we treat them. And that's why Jesus said back in verse 31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I'm reminded of an illustration I once read in our Daily Bread that makes this very point. It says in his little book, Illustration of Bible Truth, H.A. Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others. He related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself of that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and had met the man who was to occupy the other berth. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked, it's, it's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The, the other man has been up here already, and he left his for the same reason. <laughs> you get it, right? Be very careful. The very people you judge might become the very people who then, in turn, turn around and judge you. And along the same lines, it can also come back at us from people who see us wrongly judging others. Whether we think about it or not, people around us are watching. If they know we're believers in particular, they are watching us. And they're forming opinions 
about us. In fact, they're forming opinions about what we say we believe by watching us. And, and, and some of those opinions they form, we understand some of them are wrong opinions just based on their own views, but some of them are quite right. They see things in our lives that don't line up with what it is we profess as believers. And as they watch us, they, they sometimes, as they see us beginning to treat other people wrongly, judging others wrongly, they begin to treat us according to those opinions, as fair or unfair as that might be. And it's oftentimes our attitudes and our actions that form the basis of their judgments of us and, and their reactions to us. So if we're busy passing inappropriate judgments on others, those who are watching will often begin passing inappropriate and maybe even some appropriate judgments on us. But one thing is guaranteed. Jesus says that if we render inappropriate judgments on others, it will at some point come back at us. I think of a guy by the name of Adonai Bezek, a Canaanite king who was captured and he was taken prisoner by the Israelites when they were conquering the land. And instead of killing him, the Israelites opted to cut off his thumbs and his big toes so that he couldn't make war anymore. But, but it's his response that I want you to note because it's telling. Judges chapter 1 and verse 7, listen what Adonai Bezek says when they come to take his thumbs and his, his toes so he can't make war anymore. Here's what he says, verse 7. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. You see, he's saying that this is just fair. I did it to others, and now it's coming back on me. And that's the very same idea of how Jesus says it works when we elevate and, and, and seat ourselves as judges of others, rendering inappropriate, condemning judgments, making ourselves spiritual judge, jury, and executioner. God will repay in kind through our hearts, through, through those that we've wrongly judged and condemned, and, and through others around us. Sooner or later, the chickens, they're going to come home to roost, is the basic idea. Now, does this mean, and this is an important question, does this mean that we should never pass judgment in any form on others? I, I know that those who love to quote this verse, judge not, you're not to judge me, only God judges me, they would say you can never pass judgment in any form, in any way, so can we? Well, the answer is, it certainly doesn't mean that we should never pass a form of judgment on others. There are judgments that Scripture tells us are very appropriate for us to make in regard to others. But they aren't judgments of condemnation. They're simply spiritually discerning kinds of judgments. First of all, there are appropriate judgments we can render for the purpose of protection of others. These might be judgments we make against those whose behaviors pose harm to individual believers or to the body of Christ as a whole. For example, Paul did that when he passed public judgment on Alexander the coppersmith, right? Here's what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. I mean, talk about passing judgment of a sort. He says this to Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. 
Paul had no problem pointing out there's a problem with this guy. He's passing. He may not be passing it to Alexander's face, but he's certainly passing judgment on him to others. But it's a protective form of judgment. Beware of this guy. He's a danger. John did this when he called out and characterizes Diotrephes. He says this in, in, in uh, his third letter, third, 3 John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. John had no problem calling attention to actions. That's a judgment that he's passing. But the question becomes, why was John doing that? He was doing it to protect the church. He was doing it as a protective measure. So it's not inappropriate for us to do this. It's also not inappropriate for us to judge the messages that are being preached by others and to openly warn when those messages and teachings are errant. Paul did this with the Judaizers. And and he wrote an entire book of Scripture that characterizes and warns others about them and about their message, and that book is the book of Galatians. He did this for the protection of the body of Christ. There are also appropriate judgments that we can render for the purpose of identification. That first one was for protection, but there's also judgments we can render for the purpose of identification. The Bible tells us that it is appropriate, completely appropriate, for us to judge the spiritual fruit being produced in the lives of other professing believers as a means of identification. Now, look, we're not to be fruit inspectors, fruit sniffers, you know? They just love those people in the grocery store they are going through and they're mangling the, the grapefruits and the bananas and sniffing it and putting it up at their face and everything else. And then they, they don't like that one and they put it back. Look, we're not to do that. <laughs> it's a gross form of judgment. We're not to be fruit inspectors or fruit sniffers passing judgment in particular on people personally, but we can and we should most certainly judge the fruit, spiritual and practical, of their lives to see whether it matches the declaration that they're making about their relationship with the Lord. Jesus did this with the Pharisees, and it's why he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 15 through 20, Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. We're not to be fruit inspectors, fruit sniffers but we are to be wise fruit evaluators. Third, there are appropriate judgments we can make for the purpose of restoration. For the purpose of restoration, we can appropriately judge the spiritual condition of people's lives, not for the purpose of condemning them, but to help them. I think that sort of follows on the heels of the last one of identification. If we're finding that the profession of someone is not lining up, you know, with the way they're living and we see that fruit, now we have an opportunity to make that evaluation for restoration. 
We can appropriately judge the spiritual condition of their lives in order to help them, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You cannot restore a person without recognizing and to some degree confronting the wrong conditions that exist. But your hard attitude and your motivation as you do that is critically important. It has to be that you're, you're rendering judgment because you care enough about them to not want to see them continue on in the sinful way of life that they're living because you want them to come to or to return to or to be rightly established in the Lord. That's got to be your motivation. And you can always tell if your motivation is right by the actions that you take. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll be doing everything you can to help restore them. You'll, you'll, you'll be engaging them in a gracious, in a loving way. As Paul says, re- remembering lest you also be tempted. I always like to say that old phrase along with that verse. It's not in the Bible, but it's an old common phrase. Thereby the grace of God go I. It's so important that we think about that fact, that, that they're no worse than we are. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.